Welcome everybody to our gathering. For this gathering, as I was reflecting on our time together this evening, I was excited. The thing that was exciting me was just coming together again and coming together in the ups and downs and the joys and sorrows, coming together in the world of masks and not masks and vaccines and no vaccines and those changes. And the feeling that started to come for me when I was reflecting on this is what I appreciate about us coming together on these Monday evenings, maybe Tuesday mornings for some of you, uh, is here we are on this journey together, it feels like. You'd say the journey from birth to death with these joys and sorrows and ups and downs. And I feel like it gives us a chance, of course, we have our differences, but also to connect around our similarities, around our struggles and joys and what works for us for making a spiritual path. And you could say a chance to explore what can help our hearts actually fully be here for this journey. A journey that I hope this practice brings us more depth and kindness and love and wisdom. So we can have a wholeheartedness to our journey. And what I want to point out is part of this spiritual practice that we come together and explore together when we gather like this is embodying certain values. Because you probably noticed this when we talk about this Buddhisty stuff, there are there are values intertwined in this. Like as a community, we hold the value of non-harming, not to intentionally harm other living beings, not to kill other living beings. And hopefully you notice, like, for example, with that value, it's complicated, isn't it? It's complex in terms of questions of what you eat or where you shop or if you're going to fly on a plane or not. You know, the question of paying taxes in a country that sells an enormous amount of weapons designed to harm other human beings. So the teaching is sounds pretty simple, and yet to fit it into these complicated lives, that's, that's part of the practice. Because our, our lives are more complicated often than the teachings that we get from at least the earliest, earliest segments of the, the tradition. And what I notice I need to do is I, yeah, I need to pause to deeply understand these values or these practices, but then there's the process, isn't it? The process of translating them to your life, your life filled with these complexities. And tonight, what I'd like to share with you reflections on is another value found in Buddhism and one that I think on the level sounds simple and we need to take time to fit it into the complexities of our life. And also I think carries a kind of wisdom that gets uh, left behind. And it's this teaching that the Buddha gives around gratitude for our parents. And what I've noticed is it's a facet of this path that's not 
often spoken about, especially in the insight meditation tradition. And maybe you already hear there's there's a, a kind of complexity that's going to be here around this. And yet I hope to show you there's also a, a depth and a wisdom here around placing this value of gratitude for our parents. And as I begin, I do want to uh, just express uh, some gratitude to uh, this monastic Bhikkhu Sujato. He was actually just talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, and it was something that was already on my mind about this practice, and uh, I appreciated some of his words about this particular teaching. So this value, this practice of having gratitude for your parents. And I want to acknowledge the range that might be here in our group around even when I mention this and around this practice. Like for some of you, it might feel very simple. You feel a lot of gratitude for your parents. You've reflected on it. You've made much of it. Maybe for some of you, yeah, you feel some gratitude, but you haven't explored it so much. For others, there might be a challenge there. Sometimes the people who deeply love us have also deeply hurt us in very significant ways. Parents are imperfect. Those of you who are parents know both sides of this probably. It's a challenging realm. It can be complex and fraught. And for others, I want to acknowledge there just might be deep, deep harm and hurt that happened, and there was actually an absence of love and care. So I want to come back to this because I think it's important when we uh, approach any kind of teaching of how to, how to make it real for our complexities of our lives. And even the notion of parents can be varied and complex. And I find it interesting that the Buddha encourages this gratitude for parents. And to remember, the Buddha's birth mother, she died seven days after she gave birth to him. So he was raised by his, his aunt, uh, Mahapajapati. So some people might have that kind of mixture of, quote unquote, what a parent is. For some people, adopted. There's a couple who are friends of mine. Now it can be so complicated. Right? The, the, the sperm came from the couple the egg from somebody across the country, and then there was a surrogate mother, <laughs> and then they have this children, twins. No. It, it's not as simple as biological parents of, of who this is. And also for some of you, the caregivers who truly supported you, they might've been grandparents or aunts or uncles or teachers at school or therapists. So just an invitation that we hold this notion parent broadly so that there's a space to, to allow this to resonate. So complexity here. And as I said, I, I, I hope in the midst of this, we can together find that there is some, I think some interesting wisdom around the whole practice of exploring that gratitude and also what it is to, to do that, how it can change our hearts and minds.
So I mentioned all this to say I'm offering the beginning of this exploration, not the end. <laughs> I'm just offering you some re reflections that right, you're going to need to reflect on and clarify how to make your own in a skillful way. What I'd like to do now is I want to share with you some words from the Buddha about this. And as the Buddha can be, they're going to sound kind of extreme. And then maybe they might sound perfectly right on in some ways. Maybe I'll just uh, uh, quote this and then we can unpack it a little bit. He's talking to the monastics. He says, we can say practitioners. He says, I tell you practitioners, there are two people who are not easy to repay. Which two? Your mother and father. Even if we're, you were to carry your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder for a hundred years and were to look after them by anointing, massaging, bathing, and rubbing their limbs, and they were to defecate and urinate right there on your shoulders, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. If you were to establish your mother and father in absolute sovereignty over this great earth abounding in the seven treasures, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. Why is that? Mother and father do much for their children. They care for them. They nourish them. They introduce them to this world. Isn't that interesting? In some ways, what I get out of this is this is what just simply what parents do for children, right? They carry them on their backs. It's probably the tradition there, maybe literally and figuratively. Those of you who are parents know this. And then what happens with little babies, right? You know this. They poop and they pee all over you at times. You got to deal with that. <laughs> and maybe you've anointed them, massaged children, bathed them, rubbed their limbs. And then he goes on to say that, that uh, one way to repay them is by establishing them in the Dhamma or these teachings. The way I take that more broad, broadly is to establish them in that which is onward leading in their lives. And I wanna be clear for me to help someone get established in something, uh, the way that I find it so important is the embodiment of certain values and qualities, not the the attempt at conversion. Probably some of you know the experience of somebody trying to evangelize, evangelize you. It, it, it so does not go over so well with me and more of an organic support. And I want to say there's, a, a, a of course, a complexity here. But I think the the gist of it course, it's from a different culture, is this sense of gratitude. What is it to have gratitude for one's parents? So for me, and I want to say it would be so interesting because it's going to be so different for each and every one of us. For me, when I was reflecting on this, I'm really grateful for my parents. Yes, they are imperfect people. 
definitely. In all kinds of ways, the way human beings are imperfect. And yet when I slow down, I realized they modeled to me beautiful values. The value of generosity, the value of helping those in need or those who are at a disadvantage in our society. The value of kindness, of compassion. I'm, I'm grateful to have lived in, uh, uh, grown up in a kind of field where those values were swimming around. And this was, I think, incredibly rare, is they supported me in my decision to get ordained as a Zen monk. This was such, when I talked to all my brother, you know, all my fellow um, Dharma siblings that got ordained, it was usually so upsetting to the family. And not only have them support it, but to, to come and to even be part of this, this ceremony that I had no idea what they were getting involved in. Um, I was deeply touched by. And they were, they tolerated me and were incredibly patient. When I was a teenager, right? I was a pain in the ass when I was a teenager. <laughs> I cringe when I think what I put them through, <laughs> the sleepless nights. And they stuck by my side. And as I said, I, I want to point out this process of gratitude can be complex around those who've brought you to this point in your life. Because for me, it is important to expand this notion of what parent is when the Buddha is saying, saying it. For me, it's who's brought me to this point in my life because there's so many people that I feel great, grateful for. You know, one complexity is the Zen master I practiced with and I got ordained under. I am deeply grateful to him. Through his modeling, it was like it was like somebody felt it's like he had confidence in me to liberate my own heart. And there was something so unique to be around a person that had that kind of confidence in me. I didn't have it, and he held it for me for so many years. Or as embodiment of a spiritual practitioner or commitment to the path of the Dharma, it, it was and it still is deeply moving to my heart. And at the same time, he was an incredibly problematic person that created a lot of harm in so many ways. Serious blindnesses in him. And my path around this is being able to have gratitude and to be super clear about the aspects of the way he acted that were incredibly unskillful and broadening my heart so I could, could hold both of those. It's really the, holding the complexity of human beings. Because we are, we are so complex in this way. Because sometimes, maybe you've noticed, even in the, the wreckage of some relationships, even in the wreckage, you can find the jewels of love and care that actually truly were supportive. And remember, I'm, I'm just beginning this reflection for, for you, an invitation, not, not an end. There's a whole journey around this. There was for me, just around the Zen master Kiyosan Joshi Roshi that I practiced with. It was years of reflection and sitting with all kinds of emotion around this. 
I also feel like there's a deeper sense to this teaching about gratitude to one's parents or one's caregivers or to those who have supported you. And when I slow down with it, it's, it's, it, it's pointing also to this uh, relationship of reciprocity that our lives are inter interdependently inter intertwined with each other and with this earth. And in one discourse, the, the Buddha talks about the relationship between children and parents in a really interesting way, because he's really clear, like children have particular, at least during the B Buddhist time, these are gonna be culturally determined just as our values are gonna be partially culturally de determined, where children have certain responsibilities to their parents and parents have certain responsibilities to their children. Maybe later during discussion, I'll go over, there's you know, a list of five things for each one, which are quite interesting. Again, kind of culturally situated, but you can see in them and feel in them, this quality of care on both sides, but in, in different roles given, you know, if one is a child or a, a parent in that. So it goes both ways. And maybe just uh, a couple, which I, I find really helpful in so many situations, but especially for parents of children here. And I guess maybe this is alive for me just because my wife and I are in a, a caregiving role in this way, so it's it's very relevant. <laughs> and, and one quote that I really love is uh, from Jim Henson's. He says, kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. I think there's something so true about that. And then the, the challenge that is confronted with being a parent, and this comes from Lucille Clifton. Some of you might know her really, one of the great poets from the United States. She said, one of the hardest lessons I ever had to learn was that I couldn't protect my children from their own lives. You know that feeling? Like when I slow down and I, see the worry and the attempts to, to protect our niece from her own life. That's where I'm hooked. And that's, that's the hard lesson. I actually can't, especially when she's in her early 20s. And yet we're intertwined together. We're in a relational field together. And a relationship of reciprocity, what I realize it's, it's, uh, it's kind of unclear. The edges, you could say, are unclear. And what I mean that to is in, uh, in contrast to a transactional relationship. Like if I have a transactional relationship, I give you something, it's like a certain price it's like $5, so you give me $5, and then that relationship is done. It's like very transactional. And what can be relieving about it is it's nice and clear. It's simple. It's like it has a monetary amount to it. And hopefully you can hear also that kind of transactional relationship, how shallow it is. And yet sometimes there's a desire for that kind of relationship, a transactional relationship rather than a relationship of reciprocity, because there's so much kind of in the air and fluid around a reciprocal relationship.
And I think this is what I love about this community that we're creating together is it's based on a relationship of reciprocity. Like this is one of the things that I love about our board is like we're committed to, we're doing this on a data basis, on, on a reciprocal relationship. We have no idea how much money will come in this month or next month or in the next year. And yet there's, there's that willingness to, to try this experiment out, to see what it feels like to be in relationship around this. And I don't think we've ever said, you know, like, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not making it transactional of what things pay. That's left unclear. And I want to say there has been something beautiful for me. I think something like 95 or 97% of my income come, comes from Donna. And it's beautiful to be in that relationship of reciprocity. And I want to be honest with you too, like just to make this real. It makes me anxious at times just to be really honest with you in the sense of, you know, I don't know what's going to come in next month or next year. And it demands of me to, to see if I can trust, to see what happens, to engage in the experiment. To get a different sense of what it is to relate rather than, than get lost in kind of what I'd call more the transactional kind of perspective. Because my mind sometimes wants the transactional relationship of something always concrete, as if that's going to make my life easier, which I don't think it is. <laughs> but there's that dream, you know, you know, the, the grass is always greener on the other side, and you think, oh, this would be so much better, and I'm going to feel safer and better, and all those things, and, you know, it doesn't work that way. It just is uncertain, actually, in, in, in many ways. Trin... Uh, uh, T. Minha. Some of you might know her. She's a professor and a filmmaker. She says it so poignantly. She says, you and I are close. We intertwine. You may stand on the other side of the hill once in a while, but you may also be me while remaining what you are and what I am not. Do you hear the dance of her words of the back and forth and the blurring and the intertwining? You and I are close. We intertwine. You may stand on the other side of the hill once in a while over here. But you may also be me while remaining what you are and what I am not. Intertwining, similar, same, and different intertwined, which creates a kind of reciprocity or interrelating. And also, I, I, I want to say so important for how we reflect on a relationship to our earth. It's, it's, it's our great parent, our mother who has brought us so much moment after moment. And for me, I, I feel like I need to learn how to listen more and more deeply, especially during these troubled times of environmental catastrophe. What's it like to engage with the earth in a, in a relationship of reciprocity rather than a relationship of mere extraction of resources? Which I want to point out, all of us 
are implicated in just because of the systems that we're in. Maybe not so much because of our heart's intentions, but because of the systems that have been created. And also for me, when I take in the sense of gratitude for my parents and I really allow that into the heart and it starts to resonate, I start to feel like, oh yeah, this is reminding me of the interdependent nature of our experience. Also reciprocal relationships, being intertwined. It helps break down these fixed static notions of me. It like undermines these rigid, this rigid sense of self. It reminds me of these, these two sentences from uh, an essay or a fascicle by the Zen master Dogen called the Genjo Koan. He says, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. Right? So to carry yourself forward and experience the world or myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. So how to understand this? It's like the first one to carry myself forward. It's like, here I am at the center of everything. And then I experience myriad things with me being at the center. And that's a delusion to think I'm at the center, <laughs> the center of the universe, <laughs> but it can feel like that. And awakening is to see that, oh, experience comes forward and it experiences itself. And I'm just part of that mix. I dissolve, I'm intertwined with that. That's, that's freedom, that's awakening, that's wisdom. And, and that's what can get revealed, even by something as simple from gratitude, because it's an acknowledgement of a much deeper sense of the way the world works. Okay, so may these reflections lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.